welcome. You've got mail. Hey there, everyone. TechStream is back. We missed a week. Could you believe that? We, I mean, Lou Gehrig played 2,130 consecutive games, but we missed a week of TechStream. My name is Seth Everett. He is Shelly Palmer. And Shelly, uh, it was uncanny. Uh, we had uh, recorded la- two weeks ago. We had recorded our episode before both our lives were ma- massively impacted. Uh, yeah. I lost my father. You lost your mother. I think in a span of like three days. Yeah, it Crazy. was really, really weird. The timing of it was weird. Not not the the things that happened, but uh, my my sincerest condolences to you. I did communicate with you during the course of the of the weeks. We're both Jewish, so we did the whole Shiva thing. And now we're kind of back in the saddle and it feels good to have normal and be back doing the podcast that we love. Yeah, thanks, Seth. Obviously, we, we've, we've spoken our, uh, privately. And of course, my, my deepest condolences to you and your family. It was, that was definitely a tough week for both of us, for sure. Yeah, it, it was um, you know, not unexpected for either one of us. But also when it happens, there's a certain shock value to, no to the whole thing. The one thing, though, that I wanted to say, and TechStream listeners are, are part of this, um, I wasn't being narcissistic when I said I need to get funeral information out to as many people as I could. And I used social media to do it. Um, when I think about the original creation of Twitter, you know, it was basically how could you tell your friends the same thing all at once? Well, that that's that was the concept of of, of Twitter. Um, I tweeted it first, and I was blown away. Um, I had had loss before. You know, I I've talked about this before. In 2015, my best friend was killed, and social media was the most therapeutic thing in in my world. I mean, it, just the, the the amount of people blew me away then, but in 2015, I didn't think of social media as the toxic cesspool that it has become these days. <laughs> yeah. And so I really didn't expect that. I thought my friends would reach out. You know what I'm saying? Like, I thought people that knew me, but I, I mean, we're talking about volume. And again, this was not a narcissistic thing. It was in the hundreds to the thousands of strangers and friends that reached out to you. Uh, and then I had to put the funeral information on Facebook. And that turned out to be another 800 people. I don't have the time to personally thank every person, but I'm trying to. And I, it reignited my love affair with social media, because when Daryl Hamilton died in 2015, uh, Twitter was my favorite thing on earth. And now with this, I didn't see toxic tweets. I didn't see bullshit on on social media. What I saw were the outpouring of support was really, really cool. You know what, Seth? If it comforted you, then then it was wonderful. And it is wonderful. And you know, everybody's got their own thing. I I we did the opposite. We decided to just keep it a very private family gathering. Um, and uh, we didn't publicize the information. Just simply the Memorial Sloan Kettering lymphoma team, which did an amazing job keeping my mom alive for 13 years when she was told she only had two years to live. And 13 years later, she was still going strong. So we wanted to to get people to understand that there's amazing things happening in therapeutics and cancer research. And some of the 
doctors and the researchers that impacted my life personally uh, needed to be thanked and their work needs to be supported. So that was important to me. And, and so, yeah, each of us, look, got to use social media our own way. And, um, you know, uh, may, may their names be for a blessing, as we like to say in our tradition. Well, what I, what I think is, is neat is, you know, the other aspect is the world of podcasting. Um, last week had been happened to be the Super Bowl, uh, which I want to talk to you about. Uh, the Super Bowl was quite a show. It was um, loved it, uh, but uh, the officiating was a little uh, so, so questionable. <laughs> I don't know if we're ready for robot officials, but uh, boy, they made a strong case uh, yet in the Super Bowl. Um, but Radio Row is traditionally a thing that takes place the week of the Super Bowl, right? And when when I say hundreds of like athletes and celebrities and wannabe celebrities just get schlepped through by these publicists to, you know, hawk some product. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's usually done now in the, in a convention center. And I have a podcast called sports with friends and we had scheduled Warren moon, the hall of fame quarterback. Sure. Uh, one of the, uh, not the first black quarterback, but one of the, he's the first black hall of fame quarterback. Um, and with the Brian Flores case going on in the NFL, where racism in in the NFL has been at the forefront of the headlines, Warren Moon, to me, was the perfect Sports with Friends guest for Super Bowl week. Well, sure. my father passes away. We have a funeral and I can't be at my desk to interview Warren Moon. And it was a missed opportunity. And look, look, the sponsors that we had, you know, were OK. Like everybody was fine. It was no big deal. Warren Moon followed me on Twitter, saw my post about my father and sends me a direct message saying we couldn't do the interview. If you'd like, I'll come on your podcast next week. Wow. That's really sweet. I was like, come on, really? And Warren Moon. So this week on Sports with Friends we, or last week, rather, on Sports with Friends, Warren Moon was on. And he did 800 radio appearances on Radio Row the week before, but he did one interview the week after the Super Bowl, and it was on our podcast. Well, that's and fantastic. What, I'm, what, it, what it has reinforced with me is people are actually kind. <laughs> I say that with surprise, but there is kindness in this world, and that is enlightening. Yeah, well, it's a positive and uplifting message for sure, Seth. And those, by the way, I think most people are intrinsically kind. I think what happens with social media is when it goes bad, it goes really bad. And when people become anonymous, they're empowered to say things anonymously. They would never say to your face. They'd never say if they were accountable for it. Right. So you shouldn't be surprised that people are kind. It's usually in person. Everybody's kind. It's when they get empowered by tools that, you know, let's just say, have that impact on people that it gets a little weird haters gonna hate is how the song goes look look at what's going on with the olympic athletes and some of the insane threads that you're seeing it's a little kids this this young russian skater who well she was she caught. shouldn't be skating she yeah. I mean, she's 15 so whoever was running her her handlers and all that these people did her so wrong what did you know, beat up a 15 year old girl and say, well, she's complicit in it at 15. You're not complicit in anything. When you're a professional athlete, you are your talent. Like they, you know, so I, I watching well, that. Don't forget. Down, yeah. Don't forget the events leading up to the Olympics with Peng Shui, the tennis player. 
Yeah, no. All, uh, look, I, I, I mean, some of the weirdest, of some of the weirdest things you'll ever see. And all the reporters have burner phones in the in the Olympics. As because- well, you should. By the way, when you go to man, there's a little text stream for you. You go to China. There's a uh, you're not we're not on video today. And it's, I know we're going to start to do video podcasting, but I have a pouch of burner phones that I take with me when I go to Asia and wow. yeah, a pouch and you buy the SIM card when you get to the airport and you use the burner phone or you, you, you can buy SIM cards here that are, uh, you know, for trying to telecom. And, but at the end of the day, you, you never turn those phones on in the United States and you never use them for anything, but what you're doing there, because it's a hundred percent monitored. It's a very, very strange environment. I, it, some people defend it vigorously, obviously I'm not one of them. And I'm not in any way saying that, I mean, I, my personal feelings on the skating and the Olympic committee and the international Olympic committee and the figure skating committees and all those committees are, you know, an Olympic athlete, a professional athlete should be ready at all times to take a drug test and at all times. And when they fail the drug test, that should pretty much be definitive. That's that, because I can't imagine what all the other competitors must've gone through. I don't know that I could look at Olympic skating as anything other than a farce ever again it's like okay i'll watch a bunch of people do very interesting moves but as far as who's skating clean and who's doped and you know if that matters because let's face it some of the jumps they do are so athletic that you need to be pumped up in order to to do them okay if that's the case and that's the sport like lance armstrong spent an awful lot of time winning an awful lot of races before we figured out that you know that wasn't it was all enhanced I don't, you know, from a technology standpoint, Seth, I don't even know when that's going to change. It's like, I've always had this conversation in a theoretical form and it's perfect for right now. So I ripped, I tore my right ACL skiing about 20 years ago. And the doctor who repaired it did an ACL replacement. And what they did was they took a piece of my hamstring and they folded it over and they attached it with a stitch on one side and a titanium screw in the other. When it healed and when the PT was over, my right ACL was about one and a half to two times stronger than the one that I was given genetically. So if I was a professional athlete and someone said to me, you want to have a two X strong ACL, let's go ahead and, you know, prophylactically snip your guy, you know, your DNA given um, ACLs and and we'll fold over a piece of your hamstring that we'll harvest and we'll attach it. And you'll be one and a half to two times stronger. Your knees will be one and a half to two times stronger. You know, is that, that's not illegal, but should it be right? And then now if we start adding bionics, if, if you need, you know, the Blade Runner guy who got famous for shooting his wife or girlfriend or wife, but he was running on, you know, these, springs he didn't happen right. to win but but could but he, the could question he? right the question that you're saying is what does what is the determination of performance Enhanced. enhancing and as opposed so, to so you know, i covered the congressional hearings back in the uh, early 2000s i covered the congressional hearings for uh baseball mm-hmm. and here's what what at least i i was able to determine from the testimony um because i covered this firsthand they said that what you need to do is establish what is performance enhancing ahead of time. You're talking about Oscar Pistorius. And in, in the case of any of these things, you need to set up your bylaws beforehand so that you're not reacting. And 
everything is fluid and life is fluid. You know, there's this whole conversation about transgender now. Um, if you're going from a, a man to a woman, um, there are certain parts genetically that, that you have that could be considered enhancing. Whatever your decision is, I'm not weighing in on that. What I'm saying is the spe specific sport has to determine this before competition. So what's yeah. happening with the Russian skater, what you have to determine is, did she break the rule or not? And if your rule is muddy, well, then you can't have a, a penalty because you didn't do your due diligence. That I fully appreciate. Innovation is dynamic. And what is uh, science fiction today will be science fact tomorrow. And so I, what it means to be human, if you had a augmented reality headset on as a golfer, that allowed you to know the precise and exact distance to the pin, a precise and exact understanding of wind and, you know, what the trajectory of your ball should look like. And you were thusly skilled where you had a heads up display that said, look, you got, this is the zone. You got to put this ball in with about this much power behind it. And you're going to, that's your best chance of getting this thing close to the pin compared to somebody who's just looking at the pin. You're going to have you, it's a different skill set, but you're once you adapt to that skill set, you're going to play golf at a different level than someone who doesn't have that augmented reality display. And so are, are you not going to be allowed to do that? You know, the PGA said you always have your notebooks, right? So what's the difference between sending your caddy out there all night and rolling a million balls on the green? Or you wearing an augmented reality headset that has a look at the grain on the green and make and uses a little either statistical machine learning or AI assist to pattern match the green grain and say, okay, well, this is what I expect. You're going to need to hit the ball thusly and you will have a better chance of rolling it either close or in. Is there a difference? Yeah, there probably is a difference. Is it a distinction without a difference? I, I don't know. But I do know that that these enhancements will happen every day. And as we get closer the, today, Seth, I saw the FDA approved a, a new system from a company that allows you now to uh, have a wireless pump. Your smartphone can control your insulin pump if you're a diabetic. And that may not sound like a big deal because we've had insulin pumps on diabetics for quite some time. But this is uh, this company, Tandem Di uh, Diabetes Care, got an FDA approval for the first ever app that would control a, re a remote control, a pump that was attached to your body. So now forgetting about the hacking and the security and all the craziness, like hacking somebody's wireless, uh, you know, insulin pump, which by the way, sounds horrifying in it on its face. <laughs> um, it, it's not on you. If you had any need for any kind of drug that needed to be administered at a certain level. So is that including adrenaline? Is that including dopamine? Is that like what it's insulin is? So the insulin is now going to be programmed and your body's going to be constantly tested and your insulin levels will be kept. Okay. That would allow you to function normally in, in a world where you otherwise couldn't, where you would ordinarily have to stop, take a blood test, Go, you know, I mean, it's a much better system, obviously. Yeah, sure. So things are going to improve and improve and improve and improve until at one point, Seth, we all become part of the Borg, right? So that we're in a weird interim state. And that's the thing that's I awesome. just wanted to bring up. We're in a weird interim state now. And I think as a society, we're going to have to decide, and I hate to say it or sound so weird, but we're going to have to decide what it means to be human.
What is a human competitor versus an enhanced competitor? It's not a new concept, but the tools and the technology are out there now where this isn't going to be a forever like hypothetical. And we just saw it at the Olympics. Like now I don't even know what to watch. Are you watching the Olympics? It's hard to watch, man. I, yeah. They're they're impossible. The, 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 the biggest problem about it is not even the, the fact that it's in China and it shouldn't be. It's not even the part. It's the tape delay. It's in this day and age, everything that's live is in the middle of the night. And the Olympics, like some of the events are on in the morning, their time. So it's like midnight around our time. Yeah, fine. If I, but none of it has been gripping and 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 gripping for me, it's like watching for me as a drive. sports person all the announcers are in stanford connecticut yeah like <laughs> there it's not it, it, it's nothing and i understand nbc had to retain the rights because what they want is paris in 2024 and they want uh los angeles in 2028 of course those are the ones th- those are the olympics they want are they going to make it back are they gonna make the money back from this i don't know what they're spending but, the, but wow well, what what they you know how they did it they traded with cbs the super bowl they were supposed to have the nbc was supposed to have the 2020 super bowl and cbs didn't want the 2021 super bowl up against the olympics because if there's a big olympic controversy it impacts the super bowl viewership Hmm. You don't know what's going to happen. So they, they traded Super Bowls. And Michelle Tafoya explained this on a podcast because her career was extended. She had resigned from NBC. And they said, can you stick around for our last Super Bowl? And it was originally going to be 2020, and they moved it to 2021. So as a result, the NBC ad sale for the Super Bowl included packages for the Olympics. And they comboed it. And so if you wanted to advertise on the Olympics, you had to buy X amount on the, the Olympics. And that's fine. I mean, look, I'm not against a network trying to make up some of their money. What I'm saying is any Olympics that's in Asia, don't bid on it. Yeah. Don't, don't get it. it. Forget controversy. Forget COVID. Forget China. All of it. It's tape delay. If they put it in Australia, don't bid on it (laughs) not in this day and age with social media the way it is with streaming services the way it is it's not like the 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 games of yesteryear where and you know whatever network was doing it and that you could air the games on tape delay the 1980 here's 1980 usa soviet union hockey game the miracle on ice was on tape delay so so let's be clear about every four years i am asked to get incredibly excited about men and women on cross-country skis with rifles strapped to their backs, skiing and shooting as as a sport, biathlon. And I have to say that in the normal course of my fandom, I am a hockey fan, I am a football fan, I am a basketball fan, I'll even watch a little baseball once in a while, although less nowadays. But I don't believe I've ever sought out a biathlon competition, you know, without it being the Olympics. And while speed skating is awesome and really fun to watch, actually, um, I don't know if that's, that's a sport that I am going to get you know deeply into. I don't know what happened at NBC when in the old days, when Bob Costas was still sportscasting the Olympics and, yeah, and, yeah. Pack, and producers still produce packages, 
we'd be in a situation where they do a, a couple of human interest stories and they would eat with fake or real. They would at least explain to you what the rivalries are and you'd know who the, the good guys and the bad guys were and who the hopefuls were and, and all the strife that would, I, I got none of that. Like I, I find this completely unwatchable. Sorry, NBC. I love you. I mean, NBC's no, no, so it's, it's not, there, but wow. It's, it's been a tough Olympics to watch. It's it, it has not, I haven't seen a minute of it. I really haven't. Uh, I, I can't, hold my attention. You know, the hockey, you know, what hockey did is they didn't reschedule, you know, their whole season. Remember they took two and a half weeks off because they thought the NHL players were going to go to China. Uh, they wound up not uh, because of COVID not, yeah. you know, that, that was the, the reason. Yeah. Um, and what they did was the NHL had just under a hundred cancel or postponed games during COVID. One of the things I want to investigate on my sports podcast is why did the NBA uh, reschedule three games? The NFL rescheduled one game and the NHL rescheduled 98 games. Why? I, I, I want to understand that. And so what the NHL did was they used the time to uh, reschedule all the 98 games. Yeah. So the NHL has been running, you know, pretty much normal. Uh, during these two weeks. So between the NHL and college basketball and the, the recently completed Super Bowl, sports is fine. I don't have space in my my world here for the Olympics. Super Bowl was very entertaining. The most entertaining part of the Super Bowl for me that wasn't part of the Super Bowl was Coinbase's uh, QR code commercial. That one, that, that social media little, went bananas. The little time. bouncing DV, uh, QR code, the DVD um, bounce so QR code that was hysterical did you know that was coming no i didn't but as so soon you as, saw it what did you th did you well, race the first thing i did was I the first thing i did was i shot the qr code just to see who it you was did. right yeah, you know yeah. and you end up at you ended up at coinbase with a 15 dollars free bitcoin coin offer which confused the hell out of everybody um if you're already a coinbase customer which i was then you're uh, you could opt into a, a contest to win a million bucks. They, they were going to have three winners. I have no idea how that's going to go. And then the QR code took you to drops.coinbase.com. If you weren't a Coinbase customer, they gave you $15 of free Bitcoin. But what confused everybody, the next day I got hundreds with an S of emails. Oh my! Where, well, no, what happened was everybody wrote to me asking on my mailing list, the people that, you know, because I talked oh, about the commercial, okay, wrote to me and said, well, so wait, they wanted a, a funding source when you signed up because they... It, Coinbase has what's known as KYC, know your customer. And the only way they can drop you $15 of Bitcoin is if you have a real live account and they can verify your use. So they need a driver's license or a, they need, you know, to verify your identity. So everybody was like, well, now, now I have to, stuff? yeah, I got to attach my checking account. Everybody got a little wigged out. So I think they had like 20 million people try to get it. I'm not sure what the final numbers were. The, the number 20 million keeps coming up every place I look for people who went to the site. And of course, it broke the internet for a little while because it was an awful lot of traffic. Good idea. You know, the biggest problem, and I, 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 it brought something up I want to talk about on TechStream. When you see a QR code bouncing around on the internet, it's different than when you walk up to a QR code in a restaurant or a retail establishment where you like know- to get, the, to get the menu now these days? Yeah, the menu or to get a, when you see something on the internet, and you, there's no way to verify that that QR code is the actual QR code that was meant- to be associated with that ad or that piece of content. So I would beg people not to ever hold your phone up online unless it is, you know, inside of a Coinbase or inside, if you're doing a, 
a crypto deal with a known, a very, very well-known to you uh, entity because the QR code is, you have no way of knowing if that website it takes you to is the right one when it's online. You know, if it's one thing, if you're physically standing in a store or in a restaurant and they hand you a, or there's a, you know, a QR code on the table for the menu and the menu comes up. Yeah. But be super careful. It it's didn't used to be an issue, but the, what occurred to me is when I saw the hundreds of posts with the commercial in it, how do I know that that, that those commercials are the actual original commercial? It's easy to knock that one off, throw your own, throw your own okay. QR code in there. And then you, you know, that's weird. So anyway, careful, you know, forewarned is forearmed. QR codes are not what they seem necessarily. I'm not saying you should be suspect of every QR code, but wait, yes, I am. Be suspect of every QR code, no matter what. A uh, hundred million people uh, saw the Super Bowl. It's uh, alive and well. And I will say the NFL, I thought had a great season. Their playoffs were amazing. Oh, wow. Uh, the yeah. Super Bowl, the Super Bowl was, was entertaining. You know, it wasn't the best game of the postseason, but it was fine. It was a, it was a good game. Um, the NFL did it, did a great job. What did you make of the halftime show that was specifically for one demographic, 35 to 45 year old people? And if you are one year older or one year younger, you had no idea who they were. It's a really interesting question. I, I didn't see it that way. Um, you know, I'm a student of music and my whole life. And, you know, I started my career as a composer, producer, and still write an awful lot of music and play an awful lot of music. And, you know, people were up in arms and getting all in everybody's face about everything. These are iconic artists. Rap is a valid and important musical form. Most people think of music, they think of pitch, meter, and rhythm, right? You're going to have a melody, harmony, and rhythm uh, against some meter, and that's how you would define a song generally. Rap isn't like that. It does have meter and rhythm. It doesn't necessarily have pitch, and so it, it is a very interesting way to emotionally communicate. You've got extraordinary floats and beats, and then you've got rhymes on top, that are some are incredibly clever, some are brilliant, some are, are artistic masterpieces, and some suck, you know, like all music. And so here they took some of the best artists from that genre and they put them all together in what was both a metaphoric and a, uh, an actual house party. And I was just thrilled to see that celebrated. And I don't know musically, and I don't, because it's usually under celebrated. I, I heard from everybody that wanted to like bring it up to me. Could you believe that? And it went both ways, right? I mean, I had people that were jumping up and down, oh my God, it's amazing. And I had people going, this is ridiculous and everything in the middle. And I think, look, it, music is an emotional communicator. It's a way that we can touch each other non-verbally you know you listen to the lyrics maybe they will the poetry will take you someplace but very often just the melody and harmony can take you to a, to a different place here rap doesn't have the kind of complex melodies and harmonies that other musical forms do but it does have yeah, so but it was much nostalgia. emotion they were they weren't going so for melody. much emotion they were going for nostalgia and the nostalgia uh, so. yeah. i'm i'm 47 yeah okay my wife is six years younger than me yeah she knew every word to every lyric this was her music yeah it wasn't mine 
no, that's okay. So open you, you open your mind and you sit back and you're, wow, listen to this. This is, and by the way, it was the best of what it was. So it's not like they found some obscure, crazy stuff. No, I mean, Dre and Eminem is like that. Absolutely. This is, it was the best of the best of what it was. Even Snoop was awesome. I mean, look, um, well, the best, I, I understand. the best Super Bowl halftime by a million still was Prince. Yeah, Prince was great. Prince was great. Um, there have been some great halftime shows, and I got to applaud the NFL for for trying something a little different. And and Very look, un- one of my friends NFL-like. wrote a one of my un- friends NFL-like. wrote a tweet. One of my friends wrote a tweet something like, "Oh my God, thank you for bringing me back to my senior prom." I mean, it was like, <laughs> right? That, that's what people were saying, right? That was what some people were saying. Yeah. All right, that'll do it for this edition. Uh, again, c- condolences to you and your family. Uh, and, and of course, uh, thank you to all the folks on social media. That was uh, truly, truly incredible. Uh, we do this show barring uh, double losses in each family. <laughs> we do this show every Tuesday. So make sure you subscribe and get it into your podcast feed. We'll see you then.